We're going to have our first reading this evening. It's from <clears throat> 1 Corinthians. Um, we'll stay standing. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 to 8. <clears throat> now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living. The second Bible reading is from John, uh, John chapter 20, verses 1 to 18. Uh, there might be a Bible in front of you, it's on page 880, if so. I'll give you a minute to get that out. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in, looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, tomb first had also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to the Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. The day that changed the world. The day that changed the world and it can change you too. It's a moving uh, video thing, isn't it? But it's moving because it's true. Uh, not just because the music is dramatic, but it's moving because it's true. And it's a big claim. Uh, it's why we celebrate Easter. And so that's what we're going to explore tonight, and the fact that Jesus changes everything. His resurrection changes everything. Uh, keep your finger in John chapter 20. We'll also flick uh, to 1 Corinthians 15 as well. But before we do, I'm going to pray, and then we'll dig into it. Our good and our gracious God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your word that became flesh in Jesus. 
We are so thankful that he went to the cross for us, for your glory, and that he rose again in victory. We pray tonight as we open your word, that as I preach and that as we listen and engage, that you will work with us, work through us by your spirit, that my words will be yours, and we'll be compelled to worship Jesus and to follow him. In Jesus' name, amen. So there are many things in life uh, which change us, right? There is moments in life which have some kind of effect on us uh, that changes us. Can you think about things in your world that has changed you? Something that's happened, you've heard some news or something, and it's somewhere done something different for you. I was chatting to some people, and they were saying when they uh, heard they had a peanut allergy, that changes what you can eat, right? It has an impact on you. Um, Lockie's phone just got destroyed, I hear, on the, on the road. Might change it for a day or two. Don't, can't contact him. But there might be more significant things in life. You hear about a sickness that you have. You hear that your parents have cancer. You, maybe it's something good that happens in your, in your world, something joyful. Maybe something crazy, like different. Geo, he moved from Brazil to Australia. That definitely changes you. For me, when I resigned from Lippmann, went to college, or when I had kids, those things really shaped me and changed me. I was chatting to Mel and Jackson here before when their house burnt down. That certainly changes you and shapes you. All of us have these moments in life. And for all of us, we all just experienced the COVID pandemic, right? I know COVID is a bit of a swear word now. We don't like to talk about it too much. Uh, but it was a very shaping time for us. Like we're not going back to 2019 anymore, right? Something has changed for us individually, in society. It is it is different. It's shaped us. It's changed us. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead is kind of like that. We remember, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. We hold on to it. We hold on to the fact. We celebrate. But it's more than that. His resurrection from the dead 2,000 years ago, it shapes us and changes the world and can change us and shape us today for now into eternity. And that's what we're going to explore tonight. We have this phrase, this changes everything, and we're going to use this as our guide, uh, exploring it in those kind of three parts. Firstly, we're going to look at what's so central about the resurrection? Why do we go on about it so much? What's central? And then because of it, what changes? Because Jesus rose from the dead, what changes? And then how is it that it influences everything? Why is it or how is it that it has an impact on everything? Another way to frame what we're doing is we're asking the question, what difference does Jesus' resurrection make? What difference does it make for our Monday morning? What difference does it make for your Wednesday afternoon, your Saturday night? What difference does it make for your eternity? So the resurrection of Jesus, it, it, it is the central thing. This, the resurrection of Jesus, is central. right? In, in the history of the world, we base our calendar off, off Jesus' life and his death, um, but also for the faith of Christians. The Bible and also evidence of history points to the fact Jesus literally died on a Roman cross and that he rose again. Literally. And the Bible pins all its hope, in a sense, the story, the teaching, the message, the centrality of it is based on the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, there's a guy named Yaroslav Pelikan, and I realize for us Aussies, Pelikan is unfortunate, but he's a, he's a historian and theologian. He has this quote. He says, if Christ is risen, then nothing else matters. And if Christ is not risen, then nothing else matters. In other words, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is, is central and everything hinges on it. And if it's true, 
then nothing compares to it in the world. That is the central thing. Nothing else matters in its context. But on the flip side, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then nothing else matters. The Bible is irrelevant and life is ultimately just fleeting, meaningless. You take away the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, personally, I'm out. I'm wasting my time now. Um, Many of you are out too. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, just after what we read, he basically said, if Jesus doesn't rise from the dead, our faith is pointless. We're wasting our time. Now, you may know the current principle of Moreland College, the outgoing principle, uh, Ross Clifford. He tells the story of his faith often. And he says he was a lawyer, and he decided to then um, resign from being a lawyer and go to Bible college. And he was there into his second year. And basically, he had a crisis of faith. Now, if you're a millennial or a Gen Z, you're a young adult, you'd say he was deconstructing his faith. Right? He was in this moment of deconstruction. Because Jesus didn't seem real to him. The Bible wasn't real. The resurrection of Jesus was a lie in his mind now. So he decided to quit and return to what he was doing before in law. But he went by a second-hand bookshop and a book caught his eye. I don't know if a book would catch my eye if I was leaving, but it caught his eye. The Law Above the Law by John Warwick Montgomery. And he purchased it for a grand total of 20 cents. Spent all of his 20 cents on it. But what, what happened when he read it was he was drawn to the historical and the legal facts of Jesus' resurrection. He reread the Gospels and he met the risen Lord Jesus through the Word, through the Spirit at work. And he re-entered the faith. Because of the resurrection, he encountered Jesus and his life was changed. And that has been the case for the last 2,000 years, all the way back to the very first Christians. When we read 1 Corinthians 15 before, the, the um, passage that Mel read, it's basically a creed. We then sung the song, This I Believe, which is the creed of what uh, we believe. 1 Corinthians 15 is like the very first one. I'll read again from, chapter, uh, from verse 3. Paul says, basically, this is the gospel. From what I received, I pass on to you of first importance. This is central. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And then basically appeared to heaps of people. Appeared to Cephas, which is Peter, the disciple, to disciples. And then 500 other people and then to Paul himself. The resurrection changed them. This was the thing within, historians think within two to three years, they were saying this creed to one another. The resurrection changed their life. Disciples went from, the women and the men were scared and concerned and fearful. They met the risen Lord Jesus. Their life dramatically changed to the point they were going across the world and they were willing to die uh, for him. And Paul is also saying to the Corinthians at the time, like, you don't believe me, that's fine. Go speak to all the other people that were there that are literally seeing him. Like, Paul is not going to make this stuff up. And the early church didn't make it up either. Now, this sermon is not going to be a talk on the kind of historicity or the the facts of Jesus' uh, resurrection. There were a couple of books in the back and the morning service picked them up. We'll get some more. Um, Ange actually preached on it last year, Jesus' resurrection, hoax or history. So if you just look up uh, that on YouTube, you'll be able to find uh, an awesome take through of the, the evidence. But the confronting thing about the facts of Jesus' resurrection is it's not just a fact. It actually has meaning. It actually can shape our life. 
You think about Julius Caesar. He lived, he died. But to our life, it's somewhat irrelevant. Whatever he did, it doesn't have any meaning to our life. Yet, in schools and whatever, we, we talk about Julius Caesar. He's just kind of fact of history. Yet, there's far more compelling evidence for Jesus. But it's far more contentious to talk about him. A decade ago on the show Q&A, um, you may know it, on the ABC, there was a festival called the Festival of Dangerous Ideas going on at the time. And the host, he asked the panel, which dangerous idea has the greatest potential to change the world for the better? So what idea has the potential to change the world for the better? One person said, abortion should be mandatory to reduce population. That's the most dangerous idea. Another person said, freedom. There's a bunch of other answers. And then the compare asked Peter Hitchens. Uh, He's a Christian, and he answered it in this way. He said, the most dangerous idea in human history and philosophy remains the belief that Jesus Christ was the Son of God and rose from the dead. That's the most dangerous idea you'll ever encounter. Now, the compere probably naturally asked, why dangerous? What's so dangerous about that? And this is his reply. Because it alters the whole of human behavior and all of our responsibilities. It turns the universe from a meaningless chaos into a designed place in which there's justice and there is hope. Therefore, we have a duty to discover the nature of that justice and work towards that hope. It alters us all. That's why it's dangerous. Not dangerous in the sense that it can hurt you. Dangerous in the sense it literally changes everything, can change the fabric of society, will change society. And this really lands in our laps, doesn't it? Because it's a truth that requires a response. It's not just a fact of history. It is a fact of history which has meaning for us today. Now, for some of us who believe and you're followers of Jesus, it comes to Easter and we celebrate, right? Worship Jesus, praise him. We've taken from darkness into light. We're celebrating that we're forgiven, that we have hope for now and into eternity. Right? No surprises, that's, that's my response. And for many of you, that's your response too. That's good. We enjoy, we celebrate what Easter is. If you're here tonight and you may be like me when I was younger, I, the resurrection, I didn't believe at some point. I needed to investigate it. And that might be where you're at. You're needing to investigate. You're unsure. Unlike Julius Caesar, the history of Jesus requires a response. It is not just nice files for your brain. So keep investigating him. Maybe tonight on Jesus' Resurrection Sunday, maybe that's the day that you give your faith to Jesus. Any day is a good day. But that would be an awesome day. His resurrection requires a response. But that brings us to the second part of our exploration, which is what changes? As a result of Jesus, like, what changes? To kind of ask that question, we should also ask, well, what needs to change? If he's changing things, well, what needed to change? Now, when we look out in the world, there's lots of good things in the world. It's true. There's lots of beautiful things and good things in the world. But also... There's far more evil and brokenness that we experience. At the grand scale, wars again and again, stop, start again and again. The amount of refugees, displaced people is enormous. At the end of 2021, there was 89.3 million people 
who were forcibly removed from their homes due to persecution, conflict, violence of, all, of any nature. Almost 90 million people. Then there's the political, the social division that we see, experienced to varying degrees, domestic violence, broken relationships, sickness, pain, death. There's something wrong, right? There's something that needs to change. And then that's before we even look in on ourselves, when we're honest with ourselves. We look in and it's not all good. Like the rise of self-help, the rise of this kind of rhetoric of um, finding self-fulfillment in recent years, it all points to the fact that people are sensing there's something wrong within me that needs to change. And when we look at the Bible, we see there's this overarching story which addresses that very wrong. See, the Bible is not just an individual bunch of stories that are stitched together. It is that, but it's this overarching, there's this overarching story about God bringing redemption to the world through Christ. At the beginning, when we read in Genesis chapter 1, the world was created good. It was created perfect. God made humanity. He loves them. They're placed in the garden. And in the garden, you have Adam and Eve in perfect relationship with God, then perfect relationship with one another, and then perfect relationship with the creation, with the world. Land, sea, sky, animals, everything is perfect and in balance. But then humanity is deceived. Humanity is deceived by a lie. Satan comes in the form of a serpent, and he basically says to them, God's holding out on you, Adam and Eve. God doesn't actually have your best intentions at heart. He doesn't really love you. You can find fulfillment outside of him by, by doing what he said not to do, eating the forbidden fruit. The serpent says to Eve in chapter 3, verse 1, like, did God really say? Like, questioning her, did God really say not to eat the fruit? And then again, after she responds, he says, you will not certainly die. Because God knows that when you eat, your lives will be open and you'll be like God. You'll find your true sense of self there. And Adam and Eve are deceived. They believe a half-truth in the process. They reject God as the person they trust. And then we call this the fall. Perfect, now fallen. Everything is now broken. The result is brokenness. The relationship with God, the relationship with one another, creation. And the story of the Bible is then this story of God setting out to redeem it. There's this promise that God is going to make all things new. He's going to conquer evil, heal the brokenness, fix it, to bring us back to a state that it was like in the garden. Now, what's all that got to do with resurrection? The resurrection of Jesus is the beginning of that redemption. It's the conquering of evil, the beginning of new life. That's what changes at the resurrection of Jesus. It's the beginning of that time. Now, in all the four Gospels, so all the accounts of Jesus, uh, they all talk about the resurrection. And each time they say, on the first day of the week. When Michelle had it read before, that was the first things uh, that came up. On the first day of the week. And it says it in all the, all the accounts of Jesus. Now, in every time... It's not just a timestamp. It's not just it is morning. It is that something is new. Light is breaking in. Something's changed. In John 20, the one that Michelle had read for us, Mary, she runs to the tomb and is fearful because Jesus is not there. 
Peter and John, they investigate. Um, Mary's left in the garden. And Mary's confused. She's lost. She's fearful. She's anxious. She's in the garden. Jesus is buried in the garden. And then he's raised in the garden. As Ross Clifford, he talks about, he says, this is like a return to Genesis 1 and 2. On the first day of the week, that takes us back to Genesis 1, when light breaks in darkness, walking in the garden. This is the first day of the fulfillment of Scripture. As Ross will go on to say, in a real sense, resurrection living is living out the reversal of the fall. Now, it's not completed yet. It has begun, and Jesus will one day return, and he will shape the present, all things will be new. But the resurrection of Jesus is not only a guarantee that everything worked. It is that. All the things that we read about the Bible, the death of Jesus, it worked. But it's more than that. Perhaps you can think about it like this. Imagine that we need a, an engineer doing a new software, writing a code for something to fix a problem, address a need, whatever it may be. They write it all up, finish it, and then press the finish button. Some of us can think the resurrection of Jesus is just like that. Finish, bang, it worked. But two things happen when, you, when that programmer finishes their code. One, it is guaranteed that everything that they've written about works. It's guaranteed. Uh, it's not irrelevant, not a waste of time. But then you go on and use the program. Something new has started and you go and use it. That's what's changed with Jesus. When he's resurrected, it brings about a new reality. It has worked, all the stuff that he's spoken about, but now something is new. Jesus drags the kind of future into the present. He drags part of what will be in the future into reality now, experiencing part of the blessing of God now. And it will happen in full when Jesus returns again. But that is part of what we celebrate at Easter. We celebrate the victory of Christ. And I know it's crazy to see him, but that is what we are doing. At Easter, Jesus is our Lord and our Savior. On Good Friday, we're celebrating the death of death. Death to death. Jesus, he takes our sin. He takes our shame. Things we hate about ourselves. Things we hate about other people. And he hangs them on the cross. He nails them there. He dies in our place, conquering sin, conquering death. Good Friday is about death to death. Easter Sunday is about new life. The lifeless are given life, starting with Jesus and then for all of these people. At Easter, we celebrate that Jesus, he wipes the slate of our life clean. He wipes it clean, but then he writes a new story on our, on our life. He writes a new story. It is hope for eternity, 100%. As Jesus was raised from the dead, so we too will be raised from the dead. But it's also hope and meaning for today. Jesus revolutionizes the way we think about our work, the way we think about our love and marriages and relationships, liberation from shame, our, how we think about our well-being, how we think about issues of social justice and environmental issues. It's a call back to the garden. But the resurrection also has deep personal change for us. It is possible because of Jesus. And we saw a glimpse of that in the story with Mary. When Mary went to the garden in John 20, she's scared, she's fearful, she's anxious. But then she meets Jesus. 
And isn't it beautiful how Jesus interacts with her? He doesn't like kind of jump out and say, hey, it's me, I'm here, woohoo, I've risen from the dead, what are you doing, Mary? He doesn't do that. He comes to her, have a look, verse 15. He says, woman, why are you crying? Like a counsellor, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? He comes to her in her very need. Now, she's confused. She doesn't know. This is the gardener. What's going on? If you've taken him, just bring him back. And then he calls out her name, Mary. And when she hears her name from the voice of Jesus, she is transformed in that moment. She, like, jumps up, wraps her arms around Jesus. She is just completely changed from meeting the risen Lord. She then goes on and is the first person that shares the first Easter message. Jesus says to her, go and tell all the disciples that I am risen. She runs out, she says, I have seen the Lord, he is alive. We see so many personal changes throughout the Bible and we see personal changes in people today. It's possible because Jesus made a way and he's given us the Holy Spirit. And as Tim Keller says, an American pastor, he says, belief in the resurrection can change you wholly, can change your whole self, but not through intellectual assent alone, not just through thinking in your mind. It is only meeting the risen Lord Jesus personally and uniting with him by faith that we are changed. And so when we draw a lot of these threads together about how Jesus has changed everything, that means every part of our life. Every part of our life is affected and can be transformed. So if you're not a follower of Jesus, it's so good that you're here. It's wonderful to celebrate with you. The promise from Jesus is that he can transform your life now and into eternity. It's God's work who will be transforming you. You experience forgiveness, life to the full. The invitation is for you. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you have ex- beginning to experience that, like beginning to be transformed, longing for the day where we'll be complete. Like, yeah, we celebrate, we worship the Lord Jesus, we celebrate with one another the hope that we have. But if Jesus' resurrection transforms every aspect of life, then what's next for you? If he's redeeming every aspect, what is next? The work of the Spirit. You think through the lens of Genesis chapter 1 and 2, where we're being, where Jesus is calling us back to, but in an even greater sense. Restoration to the way we relate with God, the way we relate to one another, the way that we do our work, the way that we care for the environment, whatever it may be. Because Jesus is risen from the dead, because we're given the Spirit, we have the means and the power to love God and to love others. And so what part of the brokenness within you is the Spirit at work next? What he's going to do next is he transforms you into his likeness, and that is possible because Jesus is risen from the dead. And then, of course, we long for his return. We long, we look forward to his return. Because we experience in part now, but it won't be complete. One day he'll return, our identity is changed, but then our bodies will be transformed. Our whole body, mind, self, our, our being, perfectly changed. The resurrection guarantees that. And Jesus, he's not just returning us to the garden. He's returning us to that state, but even greater. And that's what we see in Revelation, an even greater, more perfect, more fulfilling image. And so for us today, because Jesus is risen from the dead, we follow the risen Savior. We follow the risen Lord Jesus. He's not dead, he's alive. 
We live into the new reality that he's opened up and called us to. Healing to brokenness, meaning and purpose for today, life to the full. The resurrection of Jesus has changed everything. It's changed the trajectory of the world. He changes people. He's changing our life too. And he can change yours. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you so much for sending Jesus. And we thank you, Father and Son, for sending the Spirit. We thank you that because Jesus rose from the dead, we have incredible hope for eternity, but also hope for the present moment. We thank you that you are going to make all things new. That you're a God who cares about the brokenness and the sin and the injustice in this world, and that you've done something about it. We look forward to the day you return. But between now and then, help us to live out the hope, the meaning, the purpose, the transformation that you're currently calling and going to do within us. Please help us to walk in step with you. And today we celebrate. Thank you, Jesus. We praise you that you rose from the dead. You are our Lord and you are our Saviour. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.